Hello. Thank you so much for joining me again. This one is going to be a little bit different though, because what I want to do today is I just want to, this past Sunday, my pastor asked me to stand in for him while him and his family and several families went on vacation together. So I stood in and, and uh, the message that I'm about to play for you was the one that I delivered to them. I'm going to clean it up a little bit so there's not some lag time in there. But uh, but I didn't think there was any need in redoing it. I will just play it straight for you. I hope you get something out of it. I hope it blesses you. Um, and I hope it helps you in some way. So give a listen. Good morning. I just want to let y'all know that in all the messages I've done, in all the podcasts I've done, in all the times I've stood in front of you, I've never had to say that before. I've never had to say good morning. And I'm going to be honest with you, when Tommy called me the other day, I was on my way home from work. I don't remember when it was. It was a week or so ago. But he asked me, he said, hey, I need a favor. Can you stand in for me? And I said what I always say, sure, right? I wasn't thinking about timing. And then after I hung up, it kind of hit me. That's Sunday morning. That's a whole different, like that's a whole different so, uh, to be honest with you, I'm pretty nervous, and I, I'm usually not nervous. I'm always nervous sitting there, but I'm, I'm rarely nervous once I get up here. Uh, but that's one of the reasons I would ask you for a little bit of leniency around my delivery, if you, if you would give me that. The other reason, as you can see, uh, I had a little surgery about a week ago, uh, and I don't know how many of you have gone through major surgeries uh, but they give you some stuff to get you through the pain, right? Uh, so I was putting this message together five days after a four-hour surgery. So if you'll show that pic of the first day of my <laughs> research, that was day one of research right there. I was, I was getting a lot done, I assure you of that. Uh, Woo. So, uh, honestly, if I read my notes really, really good, then I'll probably slur my words some because there was, there was some times where I was really pretty hooped up on, on uh, dealing with the pain. Uh, so there may be some typos, and, and uh, I'll just ask you to bear with me. It is not going to be the eloquent speaker that I normally am today. <laughs> so let's get started. I want to spend some time with you today talking about uh, something that I believe a lot of people are missing in their lives today, be it Christian or non-Christian, be it believer or non-believer, I believe that the thing that is missing in a lot of families and a lot of homes today is hope. Uh, not just any kind of hope, though, uh, biblical hope. The, the hope that can only come from a relationship with God. That, that kind of hope, not I hope it's going to rain or it doesn't rain out our parade, but the kind of hope that comes from knowing and trusting and believing in God. So to help me land the message today, we're going to spend almost the entire time in the 42nd Psalm. So if you want to turn to the 42nd Psalm, we won't be bouncing around like I normally do in, in the scriptures. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't know how many times I've read the 42nd Psalm, but I've never read it like I did getting ready for this message. 
I've never put this much thought into it. So we're going to, I want to do an overview of it. And then what I want to do is go through and, and talk to you about the five things that I believe this godly man, this person that, this psalmist, did to get through what I would only, what, you, what I think you can only describe as spiritual depression. And I think all of us go through it. And I think these are some of the things that he did that's brought out in the scripture. So Psalms 42, this is the, I'm reading from the NLT version, so it may be a little bit different from yours. And if you don't have it, it should be on the board behind me. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God again. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from the distant Mount Hermon the source of the Jordan from the land of Mount Miser. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So now that you've read it slowly with me, it's relatively easy to tell that this person, this psalmist, externally his circumstances are extremely oppressing. He's going through a lot. Verse 3 says that his enemies say to me all day long, where is your God? And verse 10 says the same thing, only it describes the effect as a deadly wound. The New King James Version says it like this, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? And that taunt, where is your God, implies that something else is going really wrong as well. Why else would they be saying, where is your God? To his enemies, it looks as if his God has left him, as if he's on his own. That God has abandoned him. This God that he's been talking about and praising is no longer with him. So it's obvious he's dealing with depression and his mind is full of turmoil. In verses 5 and 11, he describes himself as discouraged and sad. In verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. What he's telling us, though, is that he is so discouraged, he is so depressed that he's lost his appetite. He's not eating at all. All he can do is sit around and cry all day. In verse 7, he says like he, he feels like he's drowning. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tide sweep over me. So I want to stop there and I want to ask you, how many times in the last couple of years have you felt like the psalmist? 
How many times can you put yourself in his shoes and how many times have you been so depressed and so discouraged by what's going on to you or to someone that you love that you found it hard to eat? You don't even have, a, you don't even have an appetite. I would bet that at some level, everybody sitting here has gone through it. But what stuck out to me when I was do, getting ready for this is that for someone who's going through as much as this person seems to be going through, he isn't surrendering to the emotions of discouragement. He's not giving up. He is instead fighting back. He is instead begging for hope and, and talking to his God. And you know why he's not giving up? Because he has hope in God. He doesn't have hope in people. He doesn't have hope in his family. He doesn't have hope in himself. He has hope in God. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of times over the last couple years since COVID changed my life and the life at work and the lives of the people that I've worked with and that I know inside of here, I can't tell you how many times that I've had to personally fight back the heaviness of discouragement. And the only way I did it was because I know God is in control. And everything that happens in our lives, good or bad, God is in control. I knew that the words, you will again praise him, were true. I knew that God had never left my side. No matter how far I wandered away, he was right there with me. The daytime he called me and asked me if I would cover for him today, the thought that kept running through my mind, I was telling Tiffany the other day, like the, the word that come in my head immediately was hope. Like it hit and I couldn't shake it all the way home. I couldn't shake it. Hope. And I knew I had to present the message to you today to make sure that you knew that if you ever wanted to walk out of what I would call spiritual depression, you have got to shift your focus from yourself and your situation back to God. You have got to put your focus back on God. If you can do that, this miserable emotion called hopelessness will surely pass. This season that you're in right now, this, this stuff that you're dealing with, it will pass. If, and I know the if has got to be the biggest two-letter word ever invented, but if and only if you will change your focus back to Jesus Christ, this too will pass. No matter how dark it is in your life right now, God's light will shine. Listen to what this psalmist is telling you. His external circumstances are obviously extremely oppressing. His eternal, internal emotional condition is depressed and full of turmoil, but he is still fighting for hope. Here's what I find remarkable about the passage. Even with everything he has going on, at the end of the psalm, he's still fighting because he's not yet where he needs to be. The last verse of this psalm, and if you look, the last verse of the 43rd psalm are the same exact words. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. 
I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He is not yet praising the way he wants to. That's what he's asking for. He ends the psalm still fighting for a joyful experience of hope. If you think about all that he's gone through in this psalm, his faith is really amazing. To me, it sounds like he's refusing to give up. But like many of us, he's not where he wants to be. He's not where he wants to be in his hope. He's not where he wants to be in his peace. He's not where he wants to be in praising God. He's not praising God the way he should be. He says, I will praise him again. I just kept thinking over and over as I was preparing this message how much the psalmist's life resembles our lives. He's right where we've been, or he may be right where we are today. Now, we can't know the specifics because it doesn't go in and tell us what he was going through, but we can see the impact it's having on his spiritual life. How many times have we allowed our discouragement and the things that we're going on in our lives to derail our walk with the Lord? To make it so that we can hardly even pray. Allowed hard times to stifle our praise and worship. There were days and days and days, if not years, where I wouldn't go to work without praying and singing. But I'm telling you, over the last couple of years, there's been some quiet rides to work. Because I just, like I was not looking forward to what I was about to have to go through. So, like everybody else, I got it backwards. See, our thoughts and our emotions should be shaped by our God and our belief in our God and our hope in our God. But our time and our devotion to God should not be dictated by our thoughts and emotions. We get that backwards. If we can do what the psalmist did, if we can praise God even when we're discouraged, we'll become like that tree that still bears fruit even in the drought. And make no mistake about it, God expects us to bear fruit. God expects us to be a witness. He doesn't expect us to walk around with our head down where nobody wants what we got. So now that we've spent a little time trying to understand or my vision of what this man was going through. I want to take a few minutes and slow down and try to better understand what I thought, my thoughts on his responses to his discouragement. So five things. I want to look at five ways he dis responds to his discouragement. And I believe that if we can take bits and pieces of that and implement it when we're going through things, that it will help us get through it. The first thing he did was probably exactly what you and I would do. The exact same thing. He asked God, why? Why me, Lord? Verse 9 says, oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Now I want to point out again how much the psalmist is just like us. Look at how he uses the word forgotten here. It's an obvious overstatement. He had just said this in verse 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. And then he follows that with, Oh God, why have you forgotten me? He's just like us. We can walk out of a blessing 
stub our toe and say, God, why have you forgotten me? What he means, what I believe, I keep trying to put words in the psalm's mouth, and that's not what I'm here for today. What I believe he means is that it feels like God has forgotten him. The things he's going through makes him feel like God has forgotten him. Have you ever felt like God's forgotten you? Or maybe he forgot the promises that he made you. Maybe he, he sent you off in a certain direction and all of a sudden it feels like, and, and you know he sent you in that direction and then it feels like all of a sudden you're by yourself. Like he didn't follow you there. He left you out there to dry. The psalmist knows God hasn't forgotten him. But it sure feels like he has. See, the psalmist asked why. And it's a legitimate question. Now, he may not have asked the question exactly how he should have asked it, but it forces him to stop a second and talk with God about what's going on so it's a step in the right direction. Instead of wallowing in his pity, he stops and asks God why. And that makes you focus. So when things are spinning completely out of control in your life, when your life or the person you love, someone you love's life is spinning completely out of control, know that one of the first things you should ever do is to sit down, talk to God, and ask him why. Because I assure you, clarity will come. It may not come in that moment, but clarity will come. So the second thing the psalmist did in the midst of his discouragement is that he affirms God's sovereign love for him. Verse 8 says, But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. In verses 5 and 11, he calls God my salvation and my God. And even though he says it looks as if God has forgotten him, he never stops believing the absolute sovereignty of God over his situation. During the good times and during the bad times, God is in control. So at the end of verse 7, he says, As your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Your waves and your surging tide. So the things that he's going through makes him feel like he's drowning. But he understands who's in control of that. Your waves, your waves, God, and your surging tide sweep over me. He acknowledges that God is in control. He never loses the grips about the great truths about God. So when it feels like you're drowning in your circumstances, the knowledge that God is in control will keep your boat from capsizing. Does that make sense? When, when you think everything is spinning out of control, if you know God is in the middle of it, and you know the true God, then you don't lose control. It brings you back to center. I would dare say that most of us have learned this because of the waves that have broken over our lives in the last year and a half or two years or maybe even five years. We have learned deeply that God, God rules the wind and the waves. So the second thing I want you to take away from today's message is that the psalmist affirms and acknowledges God's sovereign love and sovereign control over the situation and over him. God is now and will always be in control. The third thing he does 
It sings to the Lord at night, pleading for his life. The second part of verse 8 says that at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now I want you to understand, the song he's singing is not a jubilant song. Hope is what the psalmist is seeking. He is actually seeking jubilant hope. This is a prayer song, a song to the God of my life. This song is pleading, he is pleading for his life. But isn't it amazing that he's singing his prayer? My guess is that if you look at the way Psalms 42 is set up, it's set up as a song. This very psalm may be that nighttime prayer song for him. There isn't a lot of modern day Christians that could compose songs when we're discouraged and crying through the night. That's why knowing the word of God is so important. For example, Isaac Watts wrote these verses to be sung in the early 1800s. How long wilt thou conceal thy face, my God? How long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and toil in vain? Thy word can all my foes control and ease my raging pain. Those are not jubilant words. That's not a worship song. But it is a song of faith because he understands who controls the situation. And it's incredibly important for us to speak or sing God's promises in prayer during our darkest times. Now the fourth thing he does is that he preaches. This is the one I want you guys to get. He preaches to his own soul. Verse 5 says, "Why?" Are, now he's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I can't stress enough how critical this is in our fight in faith. As Christians, it's imperative that we learn to preach the truth to ourselves. We can't sit around and wait on someone else to preach us out of hell. We act like you know it. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about this psalm. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Think about the thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They are bringing back the problems from yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? It's yourself talking to you. Now, the psalmist's thought process in Psalms 42 was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you so cast down? His soul had been depressing and crushing him, so he stands up for a moment and he says, Self, listen to me for a moment. It's my turn to talk. On this side of the cross, all of you know where our greatest hope comes from. It comes from the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins and was triumphant over death, right? So the main thing we have to learn to preach to ourselves is the gospel. The next time you begin to feel overwhelmed, 
and the pressure this world dumps on you is too much to deal with, just stop and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? God gave his own son up for you and I. How will he not graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's select? It is God who justifies who is going to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that was raised, who is sitting at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for you and I. Who shall separate you and I from the love of God? Learn God's word and learn how to preach it to yourself. Finally, the fifth thing and final thing the psalmist does is that he thirsts for God. Verses 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now what makes this so beautiful and so crucial for you and I is that throughout this entire psalm, he is not thirsting mainly for escape from his enemies or escape from their destruction. His soul thirsts for the living God. Now don't get me wrong. It's nothing wrong with praying for relief. It's nothing wrong with praying for the defeat of your enemies. David did it. A lot. But more important than that is God himself. When we think and we feel with the God in Psalms, this is the main result. We come to love God and we want to see God and be with God. We want to be satisfied in admiring and exalting God. See, my ultimate hope and my ultimate prayer for all of us is that as we spend time in God's word, that God would be revealed to you and I more and more. And that as he is, is revealed to us, our desire to know him, not just know him, but have a true relationship with him, would grow more and more every day. So if you think about the last or the end of verse 2, the translation could be, when will I come and see the face of God? The answer to that question was given to us in John 14, 9, and 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In John 14, 9, and Jesus said, whosoever has seen me, has seen the Father, right? In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul said that when we are converted to Christ, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. When we see the face of Christ, we see the face of God. When we see the glory of his face, when we hear the story of the gospel, of his death and of his resurrection, it is that gospel of the glory of Christ who is the exact image of God. Now, I know you're hungry. Some of you are already getting your naps out of the way, and I appreciate that. Some of you would like to leave so that you can get your naps out of the way. So I'll end here. My prayer for all of us today is that the Lord increases our hunger and our thirst, mine included, to see the face of God. And that he reveals himself and his plans for your life in a way that inspires you to be all that you can be for God. Stand with me and we'll pray.
God, I want to thank you today, and I want to thank you for always being here with us. No matter what we have going on in our lives, I'm asking you to help us remember that you That you and only you are in control. God, we humbly ask that you reveal yourself to us in a way that helps us not only better know you, but helps us build a better and deeper relationship with you and a burning desire to be more like you in every way. God, please never let our thirst for you waver or our love for you grow cold. Keep us close, O oh God, and wrap us in your mighty arms. Keep us safe as we go through this week, Lord. Keep Tommy and them safe in their travels. God, I thank you for being who you are. In all things Christ, amen.